What's up, guys? Alex Contreras on the mic alongside Eli Sussman. Welcome back to another episode of Marlin's Barbecue. Unfortunately, we ran out of budget last week. We spent all the money on Marlin's Macho Man. So Red, you had to take a little bit of an L this week and sit on the sidelines. Red, watch the game, sit back, let me know what you think. Eli, welcome to the show, good old friend. It's good to be on this side of the conversation rather than editing on the back end. You guys have been doing a great job. And uh, yeah, I'll try to bring Red's, fill in for Red as best I can and bring the energy for our first place team that uh, beginning their first real home games of the season. And uh, we finally made it, at least this far into the season. And things are going about as well as you could possibly hope for considering all the crap that they've been through. Hell yeah, man. I mean, coming into Friday, today, we're going to welcome Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez is officially going to take the ball for the fish in the Marlins home opener. And believe it or not, this is the second time Pablo has been scheduled to take the ball on the home opener in Miami. Uh, You guys know what happened before. The Marlins got struck by the COVID and 18 of us went down and the rest is history. But long story short, the Marlins are 8-4 and four entering today. They're going to face the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves are going to send out right. He is 0-2 with a 6.75 ERA. Pablo Lopez is 1-1 one one with a 1.80 ERA, looking awfully sharp. Eli, what are your thoughts? What have you seen so far? Well, I'm not surprised by Pablo. I mean, I was on the Pablo hype train dating back to January. I have receipts. You can check the article on Fish Tribes. One of my bold predictions this year was that he was going to be the most valuable pitcher on the Marlins team. And it took a while to get here. Obviously that was back before spring training started. That was back before the shutdown and comeback. And uh, in between he had to overcome some personal tragedy. I mean, his father just passed away less than a month ago in the middle of camp. And he didn't know how he was going to respond to that. But uh, I think right now is a good opportunity to mention that he was on the clubhouse, the YouTube show that he does with uh, Miguel Rojas on YouTube. And uh, they just came out with an episode today as we're recording this, entering this home opener. And he was very candid about his relationship with his dad. And I think the one detail that struck out to me is how he felt an obligation to his dad to return to the mound as soon as possible, right? Like everybody grieves differently. It's a different situation for every person when they go through that kind of thing. But he felt it was so important to his his relationship to reconnect with his dad on the field. Every time I just step on the field, or any field, step on a mound, I just feel like really, this really strong connection with him. Uh, he's the one that was ever, like, I was always there for me. He trained me, like, he prepared me, like, for my tryouts when I was 16 before signing professional baseball. So just, like, I just feel this amazing connection with him, you know, with him. Uh, so even after a few days after it happened, like, um, I knew I had to come to the field. Like I knew I had to be here and not only to distract myself from him, but also to like reconnect with him. Because obviously those very first 48 hours are tough. So like, obviously, you know, you know there's something missing, but coming here to the field just allowed me to like gain that in a whole different level, a whole different aspect, you know? And he's been able to do that. He's made everybody proud uh, with the way that he's performed the first two starts, lights out against the Orioles. And honestly, I thought he was about just as good in his last start against the Mets. You know, he got some bad luck, some rough defense behind him, some tough calls from the umpires. We're going to get into that, how this past week was a total wreck in terms of how it was officiated by these objective umpires. Um, But he now is heading into start number three against a new opponent. The Braves are missing some critical players. We're going to get into that, too. 
So things are set up pretty well, at least for the first game of this series. And uh, then everything after that is a big question mark because this this rotation and the bullpen are in a pretty messy shape. And it, it all depends on how much you trust these guys that we barely know, how close the those sick players are to finally returning to the roster. It's a, it's a, it's a big unknown right now, but so far things are shaping up pretty promising heading into Friday. Let me run it back real quick to what you were talking about with Pablo Lopez. Being a Venezuelan myself, I think it's such a beautiful, heart touching, heartwarming story to listen to Pablo Lopez, talk to Miguel Rojas and talk to the Marlins media team about what happened to him in that hotel room and talk about his dad. Like first and foremost, like if you're Venezuelan, if you're Latino, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. The reason why we love this sport so much is because of the past generation. I wouldn't be loving the sport of baseball if it weren't for my parents, if it weren't for my dad, if it weren't for my grandparents. And I think it's so beautiful for him, Pablo Lopez to have said, yo, I needed to go back out to the field and pitch for my pops because I know he was in heaven watching me, bro. If a tear didn't come out of your hot, if out of your eye after you heard that, and after that pitching performance, you have no heart, all right. But that is the reason, ladies and gentlemen, why I am a Miami Marlins fan. I'm so proud to say, like, yo, Pablo Lopez, what a freaking representation! Not only not only as a Marlin, but as a freaking Venezuelan. Like he saw, he went out there and he pitched his heart out, and what a time, all right. This is his calling to be the Marlins ace, all right? No disrespect to Sandy Alcantara, who who got the opening day nod this year, and he deserved it, rightfully so. But he went down to the COVID-19, like many other Marlins. And, you know, this season, this tragedy, this pandemic that we're going through has been a calling for many people, many people to open their eyes, to connect with themselves, to see, to face the truth, face the reality, see one-on-one who you are, look at yourself in the mirror. And say, hey, am I happy with who I am? Am I not happy with who I am? And Pablo Lopez took all this, like he's he was in in the eye of a hurricane, okay, so to speak. And he just he just sat there and he he pitched his heart out. He thought about all the great times that he lived, and he fell in love with the sport of baseball. And he's thankful for his dad. So R.I.P. to Senior Lopez. And uh, thank you for leaving a talented kid, a kid that, that he is leaving his mark here in Marlins Nation and all across Major League Baseball. With that being said, enough of the, 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 the sad stories. I'm super happy with these Miami Marlins, huh? Look at these Miami Marlins, bro. We're 8-4, and four, and we're going to face these freaking Atlanta Braves. And if this is the year, this is the year, guys. The Atlanta Braves lost their freaking – starting pitcher their rotation ace he went down recently the Mets pitcher uh showman said he was going to respectfully decline he was going to step away all right because of the pandemic and you got to understand him just like Isan Diaz we took a player that stepped out and said hey you know what I'm not going to play this season but guys if we've been talking about this all Twitter nation has been talking about this why not now right now is the year we got reinforcements coming in we got breaking news. We got a Mr. Sandy Alcantara has got two negative tests for the COVID-19, and he's set to join the roster in Miami. Eli, please give me some inf- more information. Tell us what the hell is going on. 
Well, this is breaking news from Hector Rodriguez, who is one of our writers here at Fish Stripes. Been doing a lot of prospect coverage the last couple of years. He's going to be at the ballpark later this homestand as well. And uh, yeah, this is from sources very close to the situation. So there's no doubt about it that Sandy has tested negative for the virus two consecutive times. That's the key, right? Because we've had a handful of players already on the Marlins that have tested negative once, but there's can be a lot of volatility to this technology that they're using. You need to test negatively two times and at least separated by a full day in between just to make sure they got it right. So he's finally cleared to return. He pitched on opening day, and that was, I mean, that was three weeks ago. So it's now three weeks removed from the last time he pitched in the game, and uh, he's on the mend. He's not set to return to the roster quite yet. The hope is that now he's going to report to Jupiter in the next few days and get into some, you know, game settings where in the alternate side in Jupiter, that's where all the players in the pool who are not on the active roster, that's where they've been training against one another, playing a lot of scrimmages against one another, so presumably that's the step for him is to throw a bullpen session over there, get himself worked up to go into one of those scrimmage games against his own teammates in the player pool. And I mean, that's the big complication from there. I'll get, I want to get your perspective on it. Uh, how quickly do you think they want to bring him back? Because it's been like three weeks since they last pitched in the game. No doubt about it. When you're a starter, you need to get stretched out a little bit um, during all that downtime in terms of, and to get back into the kind of shape you were in before to get conditioned the right way to pitch deep into the game. So the difficult choice that the Marlins will have with him along with Jose Orenia, along with Caleb Smith, those are the other starters that tested positive for COVID during the outbreak is to bring them back as soon as possible, knowing that they're not stretched out to go deep into games, you know, just add them to the pitching staff as soon as you can, or do you let them get a couple of those like rehab starts going and to stretch themselves out to be exactly how they used to be entering the season and then wait them. So it's, it's that difficult balancing act, right? Between bringing them in as reinforcements to your team or waiting until they're fully back to being their normal self. I'm wondering how would you approach it if you were making the decisions here? Well, man, I'm just thankful right now with the baseball guys that were getting Sandy Alcantara back, and I'm just thinking it's a ticking time bomb <clears throat> until we get a Jose Urania back and we get Caleb Smith back. And the reason why I say a ticking time bomb is because that's going to be a, a problem. It's going to blow up a good problem for Marlins Nation and Don Manley to have. Um, I realistically think that we can see uh, Sandy Alcantara back in the mound within a week. For the Tampa Bay series, there's going to be a couple of series that are going to go by. We're going to see Atlanta go by in Miami. We're going to see New York go by. And then we might see the Marlins welcome back at Sandy Alcantara. Uh, there's no reason for you not to expect Sandy to be back on the mound this season as soon as possible. But at the same time, you got to be a little bit cautious, right? You can't risk your whole freaking this guy's career for one season. Listen, I said it myself. This is the opportunity. This is the year for the Marlins to win it all but we also got to take care of our arms. With that being said, I'm looking forward to another start from Humberto Mejia. He did a hell of a job on his first start. He got a slap on the ass from Francisco Cervelli. San Francisco Cervelli, that passion, that drive, that enthusiasm that he brings to the whole uh, pitching rotation is what we need from a veteran catcher. And speaking of reinforcements, I cannot wait till Jorge Alfaro comes back, and I hope he comes back with his hair dyed. And I don't care what Lewis Brinson says. Jorge, pintate el pelo, mi hermano. No importa que Lewis Brinson te está diciendo que, oye, que no te pintes el pelo. Olvídate eso. J. Bob en Colombia, en vivo. Que viva todo Colombia, coño. Got to be true to yourself. That's, that's when 
Jorge is at his best is when he's really leaning into his personality. If he's and got I'll if he's got purple hair, but if he's got purple hair and he's batting three hundred, yo, rock and roll, baby, give him the purple hair. I ain't I ain't worried about it. Yeah, it was the first guy, if people remember. He's the one that tested positive right on the eve of opening, not even the eve, in the lead-up, in the pregame to opening day. He didn't even get on the field. He was supposed to be in that opening day lineup, didn't even get to play. So frustrating for him. Um, with, with Sandy, as far as we know, he was asymptomatic the entire time, didn't have any symptoms from COVID. And I think based on there was other other conversation on the clubhouse uh, a week prior where Jorge was there, it sounded like the same thing. From him that he never had symptoms he was a fortunate one and uh, i mean that gives you some hope that they can get back to being exactly who they were once they're able to actually get these reps and recover from all the downtime that they had and uh with everybody else it's still like a big waiting game but the question in between is how much you trust the guys on the roster right now to keep performing because we should rewind a little bit to this blue jays series this blue jays series was a historic series for a number of reasons is the first time that we saw the new extra inning rule in a Marlins game in the major leagues where they started with the guys on second base automatically and both games went into extra innings. The first one tied at four heading into extras on Tuesday. And then yes. And then on Wednesday tied at 11 heading into extra innings after big meltdown. So it was notable from like that standpoint is to see the different rules in play and the different strategies that both times brought the game to an end pretty quickly after just 10 innings. And uh, they played that whole series. What do you think of the fact that they were playing the series in a minor league field, in Salem Fields in Buffalo, New York, instead of not being allowed to play in Toronto due to the the government's opinions on how to control the virus in Canada, uh, the Blue Jays being relocated. And this was the first time since 1905 that they played major league games in Buffalo. From what you saw of the fields and the conditions uh, did it pass the smell test? You thought it was a legitimate game and a legitimate series to take place uh, in Western New York? Well, first and foremost, man, let me slow you down a little bit because this is Marlins Barbecue and you go way too fast for me. So, hey, uh, let's do it. And, and my man Red, you know, my man Red's name, let me get a couple loggers out. Eli, slow your roll. All right. You had two questions for me. Yeah, I think I had four questions. <laughs> the two questions. I got. All right, here we go. Let me let me let me answer the first two. I remember why you enjoy this logger with me. Anyway, so uh, you were talking about the pitching, right? You were talking about the pitching, and you were talking about Toronto and what it feels like to play at a Triple A stadium. All right, let me answer the Triple A stadium question first. Man, it was the first time in I don't know how many freaking years that Major League Baseball was played in Buffalo. And it felt so good and only right that it had to be 2020 when the world was going upside down and this whole COVID struck the world that the Miami Marlins would go to Buffalo and play the Toronto Blue Jays of Buffalo in Buffalo, split the series. I was proud of the Marlins in the way that, yeah, we were able to get a game out of the series, but holy cow, bro, we had no pitching. Like, shout out to all the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, you guys have a hell of a team, a hell of a batting lineup. All those second-generation players, wow. And let me, let me sidetrack for a second. Um, I think it's so cool that the Toronto Blue Jays have Boba Shett, they got Biggio, they got Guerrero. And I'm thinking, yo, you know what the only thing they're really missing here is? a Conine, and they have a Conine in the minor leagues, how cool would it be for that Conine to make it to the major leagues? And how even cooler would it be for Mr. Marlin to become Mr. J? 
Huh? If he turned out to be the manager, think about it, Blue Jays organization. Look out, bro. You need somebody in the front office. Look out for me. I'm trying to help you all out, man. I love the Marlins, Mr. Marlin, for always, Jeff Conan. Anyway, going back to it, I was happy to see the Marlins slugfest their way, win some games. Jesus Aguilar, Brian Anderson. Can somebody already please, like, I know, can you guys stop acting like you don't listen to Marlins barbecue? Mike Hill, yo, I told you already, you're doing a good job, B. But freaking extend. B.A. Extend Brian Anderson. What a coincidence that the Marlins have had a different lineup every single game this season. But the only coincidence out of all those lineups is that B.A. has batted in the fifth hole all year. And he's been producing left and right. Can somebody explain to me how we got the best hitter in our team batting fifth and we don't move him? Like, Jesus, I love Jesus Aguilar. He's doing a great job. He's raking. He's a, he's a part-time uh, groundskeeper alongside Brian Anderson and Corey Dickinson. But, Jesus, man, can we give him an opportunity? Um, and what was question number three, Eli? Three and four? Well, well, let's stick on this for a second about Anderson because I agree with you. We're totally on the same page there that he's – he was a good player each of the past two years for this team. And we saw it heading into the season that it looked like he was going to take another step forward, at least offensively. You know, there was no place for him to go forward as a defender. I mean, he's already that gold glove caliber defender at both third base and right field. The question is, could he play to more power in game settings? Uh, and we saw some of that right before he got injured in 2019. He picked up exactly where he left off. He's one of the best He's one of the best offensive players in baseball right now, you know, through the first 12 games of their season. And it's he's hitting the power. He's hitting it to all fields. He, a lot of hard contact. He's a guy that you could say he's the best offensive player on the team. And so he shouldn't be on the like below the, the heart of the order. He shouldn't be in that number five spot. And he just rolled it through the right side. And he sends one high in the air to deep left field. Goriel turns around, looks at a three-run blast for Brian Anderson. Marlins jump out to the early lead. What Mattingly likes to do, and Mattingly was grilled about this on one of the conference calls that we had on Zoom about why Anderson is number five. And, you know, it's not a really satisfying answer. He points to the obvious. He says that Andy is doing great. Let's leave him in a spot where he's performing well. You know, if things are going well for him, then why change it? But, I mean, my counter to him is, like, would he be less comfortable if he's batting fourth, if he's batting third, if he's batting the second? Like, how would how would that possibly have a negative impact on him just by giving him more opportunities to get to the plate? I, I agree with you. It's a little head-scratching. I imagine it's going to change before the end of the year if he keeps this up. Um, I mean, right now, if he keeps this up, he's going to be – it's going to be one of the great offensive seasons that any third baseman for the Marlins have, has ever had. You know, this is peak Mike Lowell type of stuff, if not even a little bit more power than that. It's hey, been- you know what? I was thinking about Brian Anderson today, and I was thinking about, man, I can't wait to have him on the show. And one of the things I want to say to him is like, yo, B.A., what does it feel like to be one of the superstars on this team? Like, bro, this guy is not a superstar on the sense of like you're thinking Giancarlo, Christian Yelich. But you're thinking superstar on the sense of like a Chipper Jones. And if you're thinking superstar on the sense of Chipper Jones, Chipper Jones is a Hall of Famer. And Christian Yelich and John Carlos Stanton got a long way to go. So if they're telling you that you're a Chipper Jones for this Miami Marlins organization, I think that shit goes a long way, brother.
I'm not saying I'm not going to say that yet. I was saying he's on a great pace. You know, he is on the pace to have like a Chipper Jones type of season. He's on that pace. If if they would have not thrown that that ball on the inside last season and broke his hand, I think we could see Chipper Jones type numbers. He was he was on a crazy home run pace last year too. He is second on the team with a two. I think he's batting two eighty. He's leading the team. In RBIs, I mean, Brian Anderson, bro, he's the type of guy that you want around. Like, I don't know why. I tweeted this the other day, and I said, Francisco Saravelli, he's been doing one hell of a job, okay, leading this young Miami Marlins team during these past few days. That three-run shot he hit in Atlanta, that three-run shot he hit in Toronto. Francisco, te amo, man. Damn, que orgullo venezolano tu me da. And... That was amazing. And I don't know exactly how much we're going to remember because he I did know- the double fist pump. He did the double fist pump, yo. He looked like Sammy Sosa. Top ninth, two outs. He got the 3 0 green light, blasted it. They were talking about fist trap. Eli, I know you tweeted it. I saw you tweet it. He was like, Will Francisco be the hero again tonight? And I was like, I so, I so fucking wish so he does. And he really did it, bro. When he hit that ball, he connected. He knew it. He did the double fist pump. He did the little jump in the air. He looked like Sammy Sosa. Man, life is good, Miami. Where you at? 3-0. Oh. Cervelli with a drive out to left and gone. A home run to tie it. Two outs in the ninth. Cervelli evens things up. No way, Paul. I said, 3-2 count. You walk a hitter on a slider to get to the tying run, and Cervelli swings at a 3-0 pitch and goes yard. Green light. Well, I'm going to remember it for sure because that sweet. It was two outs. I mean, just to set the scene for people, they're down 4-1, down to their final out, top of the ninth. He had the two runners on base, so he's at the plate. He was representing the tying run, and he's he's a guy that we've mentioned this. You know, the numbers didn't fully reflect it the first couple weeks, but he's consistently hammering the ball. Like, he is hitting the ball as hard right now and as consistently as any other time in his career, and that's saying a lot because this is a guy now in his 13th major league season. He's been around a while. A lot of people would suspect that he's on the decline, that his best days are behind him. Yep. But you don't know exactly what it is. For whatever reason, he's he's totally locked in entering this year, you know. And now that he's had this opportunity, this opportunity that he probably honestly didn't expect to have as the primary catcher, he's catching almost every single day, and they're trusting him to do it, to work with the hit, to work with the young pitchers, and also to hit himself. And like that didn't uh, it didn't win them the game. It almost did. And I just had a feeling, you know, I sent out that little teaser, that clip of him. He's a guy that, I mean, beyond anything he could do on the field, he is just so likable off the field and enthusiastic and clever. And we have that one clip of him saying that it's going to be me. It's going to be me. And that was like the perfect time to put that out there. I'm very humble. And I can tell you that it's going to be me. And yeah, he delivered in that moment. He's, he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible for, for a guy on a one-year deal, you know, late in his career that, uh, under these circumstances, they didn't know exactly what to expect of him, whether 
coming off a really bad year in 2019. He was on the Braves for Yeah, they were just trying to find out if he had something left in the tank. And, like, to be honest with you, like, I think when Marlins fans signed a Martin Prado during the whole tragedy, the, the whole tragedy to Jose Fernandez, like, we got the downside to a Martin Prado. And I hate to compare this right now. And I hate to compare it, a Martin Prado to a Francisco Cervelli. But literally, like, we signed a Francisco Cervelli this offseason. And I was like, why do we sign a Francisco Cervelli? Like, this guy, like, he's been trying to prove he's got something left in the tank. And for this guy to come to Miami, accept a one-year contract as a backup to, to freaking Jorge Alfaro. No disrespect to Jorge. Jorge, you're a monster. You're the next best catcher in all of Major League Baseball. But what a compliment. What a compliment to have Francisco Cervelli as the backup catcher to Jorge Alfaro. And to see him perform the way he's performed for the Miami Marlins, bro, I'm so proud. I'm so proud in the sense he's a great Marlin. He's a great Venezuelan. And he's a great clubhouse leader. And going back to the Martin Prado, and comparing him to Francisco Cervelli, when he hit that game-time three-run home run in the ninth with two outs, that Nike emblem looked like a C on his chest, like a captain that this Miami Marlins team very much desperately needed during these times. Francisco, Chef Francisco Cervelli, thank you. And you know what I'm saying? Like Dean Martin, for all your all all y'all old heads that like music, that y'all listen to every type of different type of music in the world. Dean Martin, he's got a song that's called Das Amore. If you can freaking rhyme, I would sing a song for Francisco O. When he hit the O, the Honra O with two outs in the bottom of the nine, three O. Oh yeah. Francisco Severelli hit the three-run shot, and that is Amore. That's right, Miami Marlins. It's Amore. So look it up. Dean Martin, Amore. So I ain't butchering it up like that. Eli, it's the loggers getting to me. My bad. <laughs> he, he brings out that side of people, the way that he conducts himself on the he, field and in the club. He hit he hit a ding a ding a ding in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. He tied the game. It's Francisco Ceravelli. We talked. That was Tuesday's game, and we need to talk about Wednesday's game a little bit more. Uh, the game that the Marlins won, that they barely won, where they jumped out to that three nothing lead. Oh, that was Andy doing his thing in the first inning, three run homer. And then they wore down that rookie pitcher, Nate Pearson, in the third inning. Another big rally. They got up 8 to nothing in the third inning. And then this pitching staff, you saw all the cracks in this young pitching staff. You know, not just young, this young but inexperienced pitching staff, this, this unfamiliar staff of guys behind Jordan Yamamoto, who himself was a little uneven. And then the bullpen combined – there was an almost unprecedented situation. They allowed a home run in the third inning. They allowed a home run in the fourth inning, in the fifth inning, in the sixth inning, in the seventh inning, in the eighth inning. It was it was kind of traumatizing, wasn't it, where they had that big lead, but you just, all these guys coming out of the pen, you couldn't really trust any of them. And on one night, 
almost all of them let the team down one after the other after the other to give that lead back where it went from eight nothing to 11 11 and again the outcome of the game is can slant our perspective in this kind of situation they won the game and that was a game they needed to win to put a halt to the three game losing streak so the fact that they came out on top you know that sends the good vibes on the flight that took them back to Miami that gets everybody really excited solidifies the team in first place for the time being people chalk that up to a positive experience but I mean that's got to be really concerning doesn't it when you see all those guys whether it was Brian Moran whether it was who did they bring in in that game it it was almost everybody that they brought in just didn't really have it including Brad Boxberger too Boxberger uh, people love his last name people love the stuff that he has that he's been showing throughout spring and summer camp. And he started this year in the regular season, five straight scoreless outings. And then he was the one that gave up the, the, the game tying home runs in the eighth inning, just when it looked like things were settling down. He, uh, it was his first big meltdown of the season too, that, I mean, aside from like Brandon Kinsler at this moment in time where you don't know exactly where these other COVID relievers are going to come back from the injured list, if you're stuck with who you have for the time being, it's it doesn't feel like any lead is safe at the moment for this team with the collection of arms that they got. I read a tweet the other day that said it feels like these designated free agents that the Marlins acquired, it feels like the Cinderella glass slipper is starting to fall off, like the magic spell is starting to fall off. And I completely feel that. <clears throat> James Hoyt has done one good-ass job. We had Richard Blyer come over, a Miami native. He did a good job before he got hurt. We had a Josh D. Smith and an A. Smith and a B. Smith and however many Smiths we got left in that bullpen. They did a good job. We got a save and everything. But, man, eventually one of these guys was going to blow up. They were going to implode. Like, why did you think they got designated for an assignment? Yeah, Craig Mish said it beautifully. He tweeted. He said, hey, for those guys that got designated for an assignment, how beautiful for the Miami Marlins to sign you guys and give you a second opportunity. And I felt that. But that being said, like, that magic's falling off. And thank God it's happening in the nick of time when the Marlins are starting to have reinforcements starting to come back. We mentioned earlier that Sandy Acosta is going to come back. But what's going to happen with uh, Dr. K? What's going to happen with Jose Ureña? All right. I'm not so worried about Dr. K because I know Dr. K is going to come back and they're going to put him in the rotation, starting pitching rotation. But Jose Reyna is a luxury. Eli, what do you do with him? I mean, do you slot him in as a starting pitcher or do you throw him in the bullpen if you're Don Mattingly? A lot of that will depend on what we see from Umberto Mejia his next time out because that first impression of him, and he was a guy that he was on our radar for sure. He had a huge season in the minor leagues in 2019 in a ball and high a uh, an era in the low twos he's a guy that throws strikes and he has a really filthy curveball that nice like, curveball like, nice curveball yeah he's a guy that we you thought had interesting potential but he's not a top of the scale type of top of the rotation potential prospect he was pretty far down on the depth chart he was no Sixto Sanchez or a Max Meyer or an Edward Cabrera he's a he's a, honestly a tier below them in terms of the stuff he has and the other intangibles that it takes to be a consistent starting pitcher. So in his first outing, you know, only going two and a third, he's expected to make his next start either this upcoming weekend against the Braves or maybe one of the first couple of games against the Mets. 
he was on their taxi squad, so they had to officially put him back on the roster. And it's going to depend a lot on what he does his next time out because he's going to have to go a lot further than two and a third. But um, it depends exactly how much further that he goes. Like if see a guy that you trust to make that leap into your rotation immediately, the same kind of jump that uh, someone like Jordan Yamamoto made last year. With Yamamoto, he jumped up straight from double A and he stuck for half a season until he suffered a minor injury himself. And it's kind of unusual to see that happen. But if, if you're a new guy on the block and you could take opponents by surprise, if they don't have that full scouting report on you, you can overachieve. And that's kind of what the team is banking on right now. You know, Don Mattingly said it best that this is not a developmental year at the major league level. They're not like, keeping these prospects on the roster and focused entirely on their development. It's a tough situation where you have to throw them into the fire and hope they contribute because the season is so short and the season has started off so well that they see a chance. They see this chance to be a contending team ahead of schedule. And these guys are going to be put in opportunities to help right away. How cool is that? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how cool is that that Humberto Mejia is considered a a tier two guy compared to uh, Sixo Sanchez, right? That being said, like how cool is that that Humberto came in, made his major league debut, and he's got such a nice curveball. Like that talks about the, the the job the front office has done for this Miami Marlins organization. Like these guys, whatever guy they throw out there right now, they're doing a hell of a job. Like they look quality. They look like proven major league baseball players. Like I'm so proud to to have my name next to these Miami Marlins. Like it's like, yo, that's my squad. That's my team. And some a shout out to Daniel Castano as well. He made his debut in that Mets series on the road. He was a guy that honestly is even more of an afterthought. He was acquired in that Ozuna trade along with Sandy, along with Zach Gallen, Magnaris Sierra. And we've seen all those guys now have some success on very various levels. Castano was the final piece of that puzzle, the one that doesn't have the overwhelming stuff, doesn't have the big fastball, but he was performing so well last year at, at double A mostly in Jacksonville. And by default, you know, the plan was not to have him starting major league games this year. I feel pretty confident about that. They did invite him to major league spring training. He's obviously in the player pool, but for him to be flung into this situation was also pretty surprising with him. At least he gave them a little bit more length in that first start he had working into the fifth inning. I'm not quite as confident in him uh, being able to succeed right away at the major league level, but it's going to be, it's going to come down to those results. I imagine that both of those guys, both Mejia and Castano are going to get these starts coming up and it's going to be as simple as the performance. If, if either of them show the opportunity to contribute right away, then they stick in the rotation and, you know, you fill the rest of the pitching staff around them once you get guys back healthy. And you know what? I thought it was a little bit weak. I thought it was a little bit weak that Peter Alonzo celebrated like he won the freaking game three of the freaking NLDS against the Marlins when he freaking hit that home run against Castano. He was like, yeah, I hit that home run. I hit that home run. But he wasn't acting like that the day before when freaking Humberto Mejia was making him look like a fool on that curveball. Like, ladies and gentlemen, this Miami Marlins pitching has got death for days. So Castano didn't have his best stuff, and he got an L for that 
that uh, that 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 opening that's valid that's cool but i ain't worried about it bro have y'all seen our top 100 prospects i ain't even worried about it bro miami martins were in good hands Derek Jeter, Bruce Sherman, thank you so much, man. Y'all guys are killing it. Mike Hale deserves a raise. Well, he deserves a new contract. That's the big question coming up. You know, Craig Mish has been all over that, that most of the guys in the front office, they got contract extensions before the season started because they were heading into contract years and they uh, they got that pat on the back that we want to keep you guys together. And the only guy that's not under a contract now for beyond this season is Mike Hill. You know, the expectation is that especially if the team is performing as well as it is right now, that they're going to work some something out. But first things first is just making sure that he's still around with the team. It's been that tough balancing act, you know, with Jeter, where obviously most of the guys that he inherited that were in big positions with the Marlins before he came in, he, he parted ways with them. He wanted to start fresh, turn a new page, start bringing new philosophies and new values. And Mike Hill was one of the few holdovers from that situation and, I mean, it, it's proven that they're a pretty good fit with one another. Uh, I, so I just hope they make that official. Still not official as of, like, here we are in the middle of the season. But I'm sure they can work something out once we get things over with. And, I mean, we can't to- totally turn the page on that crazy road trip without mentioning the umpiring that was going on. I mean, especially during the Mets series, a little bit in Buffalo, too, during those two games they played against the Blue Jays at the strike zone was just all over the plate. I mean, I guess one that stands out was actually in that first game against the Blue Jays in the bottom of the 10th inning, Stephen Tarpley in a 3-1 count, uh, the winning run in scoring position. He is working for the strikeout, and he throws a 3-1 pitch that's like right over the middle of the plate, and the ump calls it ball four, and that totally that puts the team against the wall. That gives him like no chance to wiggle out of it, turning what should have been a key strike into a ball four. And there were just so many countless examples of that in all those games that they played the last couple of series. And I'm not someone I hate to ever place the blame on something beyond your control. I, I like to think that no matter what the two teams that are playing on any given day, the talent is so similar. You know, even in this situation, even when the Marlins are digging so deep into their organization to find talent that these guys are all, potential major leaguers that you put them head to head in a bunch of times that essentially the games are going to be split down the middle that you don't want to allow anything else to make a difference other than the talents on the field. But it was, I thought it was impossible to ignore, right? Some of the calls that we saw in these recent games. Shout out to Danny Martinez. All right. Shout out to Danny Martinez and his wife, who's doing a one hell of a job on Miami Marlins art. Um, she's she's recreating feel good moments in Marlins season this year from the double fist pump in to the Eddie Alvarez jumping in the air and making one hell of a fucking play. Like you listen to me, guys. Like Danny Martinez didn't need to say this. If you guys were watching the Marlins games, you guys would notice that the the umpires behind home plate were pretty much blind. Okay. What a shame to Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Umpires Association. I cannot believe the way these guys have missed strikes and balls all COVID season long. Okay. The other last night, seconds ago, I'm sorry, seconds ago, I just saw Sad Granky calling out the home plate umpire, telling him, come on, bro, you can't miss that on a freaking strike, a fastball at the knees. 
obviously it was going to be a strike three, and freaking the umpire said, nah, it's a ball. Zach Greinke told him, bro, come on, man, you can't miss that. And I completely agree. Major League Baseball, you cannot miss this strike zone. You cannot send an umpiring crew out to cover a Major League Baseball series, and these guys can't call the difference between a ball and a strike. Rob Manfred, where are you at? You haven't been present when the freaking Astros blew it. You haven't been present when the Red Sox blew it. You haven't been present during this whole coronavirus. The Miami Marlins were the first team to go down with the coronavirus. Now the Cardinals are going down with coronavirus. And you know what? To keep up with the continuity, I'm going to give you a round of applause because you haven't canceled the baseball season yet, even though the Cardinals are fucked and they have no way to complete this season this year. Okay? Shout out to the Marlins. The Marlins were able to recover from the COVID-19, and we're in the season. We're in the playoff chase right now. But, yo, Robert Manfred, bro, going back to you, Robbie, how many times do we have to back you up? Robbie, bro, you're the commissioner of baseball. You're supposed to look out for what's best in baseball. How is it not possible for you to implement, like, a freaking executive order? Aren't you a freaking president of baseball? Aren't you this guy in charge of everything, everything that happens, all the rules, all the everything? Bro, why can't you implement some type of rule where no team in Major League Baseball has to see the same umpiring crew after one month? How is it possible for the Marlins to see the same umpiring crew, I don't know, three, four, five times the same time, like, in a row? Like, there's no way. Like, oh, the Marlins got the same umpiring crew when they face the Orioles, the same umpiring crew when they face the Phillies, the same umpiring crew when they face the Blue Jays, the same umpiring crew when they face the Braves, the same umpiring crew when they face the Mets. You guys are a freaking joke, bro. What a disgrace. Like, I can't believe you. Rob Manfred, you're making Roger Goodell look better than you. Well, you put me in this position where I now got to stick up for Manfred, and I hate to be in this position because it's hard to stick up for that guy. And it's cool, and I'll stick up for Tony Clark. Tony, nice nice beard. Well, with what he's done with the sport this year, it's been a bad year for Manfred, no doubt. And, you, I mean, you're correct in that he's got that power to do pretty much whatever he's, he wants because we've seen it. We've seen it during the season. The season got started. They decided that, well – we don't know if we're going to be able to get all these games in. So when we have to make up the games, we need to put, uh, we need to make some changes to the rules of the game. He was the one that right in the middle of the season, he decided that it would be best for everybody to do seven inning double headers. That wasn't a rule a couple weeks ago. That was brand new thrown into the situation when he realized they'd have to make up so many games due to COVID outbreaks on the Marlins and the Cardinals. It made changes to the roster. I mean, you need to give him credit. He helped the Marlins in a little way with this one where the rule was supposed to be that by the middle of the season, rosters would go down to 26 guys on an active roster, go down from 30 to 28 to 26. And Manfred said, hold up, hold up. You know, we're missing so many players as it is. We're putting guys in positions where they might not be ready to succeed. We need to create extra space on these rosters, extra space on the taxi squads too. So they made it so that the rest of the season moving forward, 28 spots on the roster instead of going down and they have a couple extra spots on the taxi squad, too. I mean, that gets players paid a little bit extra than they would have been paid otherwise. Puts them in a position where if something goes wrong, all of a sudden they step into a bigger role than they thought they would have on the team. So that was kind of uh, a concession from him under these circumstances. Uh, in terms of the umpiring, 
what I think has to be pointed out is that the umpires are in the same position as the players. They're put in, being put in this situation where every series are in a different spot for the most part, um, where travel in this country at this time is dangerous. And we've seen it with these teams already with the Marlins. That was the issue is with the travel and trying to create a tight bubble around your traveling party. They weren't able to do it. There's so many factors in play. And it's the same thing with these umpires where it's so hard to keep everybody safe when they're traveling And that's why the league is taking steps to reduce those demands as much as possible. All the the Marlins and all the other teams in the Eastern time zone, they're playing teams on the East coast. They're avoiding those super long flights uh, in order to like prevent contact with the outside world as much as possible. And so with these umpires, they're in these same bubbles as well, the same regions as well. You got these umpires that will spend, I believe their entire season in the east or in the central or in the west you have your own your own region that you're sticking to for this entire season in order to like limit the risk as much as possible and so i just think that was going to be inevitable no matter what is you have these umpires that are in that are following around the teams themselves for a little while because he, they just there's no other safe alternative you can't send them all around the league as you normally would during a typical year because of all the risk involved with that uh, I, I think it's frustrating, and in this case, uh, it was uh, it was just beyond is indefensible the kind of calls that they were making. Not just one guy, but seemingly every single night, whoever was behind the plate. But is I think the logistics have a lot to do with that. It, it, I mean, at this point, they're trying to put safety as their top priority. We know that's not true. You know, you were just saying here on the pod a couple of weeks ago that it would make be the responsible decision just to shut everything down because of the state of the country is in and where this virus is still so prevalent. But I give them a little bit of credit for looking out for the health of the umpires by preventing them from making unnecessary steps and traveling across the country. So that's, that's kind of my stance on it. I think that's how it happened, how they got stuck with the Marlins uh, for consecutive series is it just has to do with, you know, watching out for them and not putting them in dangerous situations. Well, we got to finally look ahead a little bit more to the Braves series, a couple of specifics about this, this series coming up. You're going to be there. You're going to be in the ballpark for the series opener. Long awaited making your debut at Marlins Park this year, the first game that of the regular season that the Marlins actually get to host themselves after having so much being rescheduled and being pushed back and being delayed and switched around. Uh, are, are you excited to finally be in the building to see a major league game get played? Because not many people are getting that opportunity under these circumstances. I'll tell you what, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm super excited about the opportunity to see live major league baseball between the Atlanta Braves and the Miami Marlins. And more than that, the fact that they're fighting for first place. Okay. With that being said, guys, I want to invite Eli Sussman to an exclusive edition of This or That. This or That. Eli, are you ready? Uh, well, I, I was ready for the segment because I know we do it almost every week, but you're going to catch me by surprise. What, what are we choosing between this or that? Oh, yeah. This or that. Eli, what are you bringing to the barbecue? Are you bringing some hot dogs? Are you bringing some Slim Jims? Mm, well, we know what macho 
<laughs> Mar- Macho Marlins man would do in that situation. Me personally, I'm a, I'm a hot dog guy, and I'd go after that. Uh, you know, we we just heard though that Corey Dickerson. We know where Corey Dickerson would go in that situation too. Never had a hot dog in his life. So what a weirdo, bro! I can't believe Corey McKenzie Dickerson's never had a hot dog in his life or a hamburger in his life. He's a weirdo. I'm like the pickiest person you'd ever meet. But you just straight up hate ketchup. Ketchup, mayonnaise, any almost any condiment. I, I've never had a hamburger or a hot dog. What? Yeah, what? I don't eat bread. I don't eat bread. Hold oh on. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. impossible for a baseball player to never yeah. have a hamburger or a hot dog. Hey, I struggled in the minor leagues. I was eating granola bar, fruit, just to make it. I was I was gonna starve to death. You're my boy, you're a weirdo though. So I'm going hot dog. Dickerson is going with the Slim Jim. What are you going? This or that? I'm going with I'm going with chorizo. The hot dog, yeah. The Latino hot dog. <laughs> All right, moving on. We're going to have at shortstop, are you taking Dansby Swanson or Miguel Rojas? In this series, I'm going to take the guy that's on the roster that would actually play in the game, Dansby Swanson. But, you know, overall, for the leader of my organization, for the 2020 season as a whole, for uh, forever, for as long as he wants to be in a Marlins uniform, Miguel Rojas is the man, and he's been – Everything you could want, even during, even when he's been sick, even when he's been not even with the team in present, but still in spirit, he's everything you'd want, man. He's a, he's a great ambassador to the team. We talked about Pablo earlier in the pod, and he is cut from that same cloth. He is a great leader and uh, an improving player. Every single year, he just keeps getting better. Yeah, Mickey, we love you. Miguelito, hey, te amamo. We love Los Tigres Jaragua, man. Don't block Face Traps no more on Twitter, man. We love you, my guy. You the guy. <laughs> yeah, pass it. That's water under the bridge. That's a new <laughs> 2019. We turn over a new leaf. And uh, yeah, Mickey's been so accessible on Twitter. He, he watches watches every single game, every single moment of the game while he's been away. He's, he's as much a fan of organization as he is an employee. He's a, he's a, such a passion for the guests to do well. Okay. So with that being said, Mr. Sussman, what do you think about catcher Travis Darnon or Francisco Saravelli? That's tough because – Come on, man. If you don't say Cervelli, I'm going to cut you off and we end this whole segment. It's the great things about Cervelli. (laughs) had the similar... um, Peer pressure. He took a big step forward in his career as well as last year, mostly with the Tampa Bay Rays. All of a sudden, he tapped into this power that he had. He was was a really highly regarded prospect like five, six years ago. He couldn't figure it out with the Mets. He kept getting hurt. When he's healthy, he's a great all-around player. But what we've seen this year from Cervelli, if we're taking a guy for right now, especially in this series, I mean, Cervelli is locked in. He's the best version of himself. He's in a good place mentally and spiritually. So that'd be a very close call, but I'm going with Cervelli. Freddie Freeman or Jesus Aguilar? Jesus is legit. You know, what he's doing this year, we got a good article on Fist Stripes about the way he has bounced back from the 2019 season. He's back in all-star form. He's hitting the ball hard. He's loving life. 
He's a great part of that clubhouse. He's no Freddie Freeman. Fre- Freddie Freeman is the gold standard at first base. He has been year in, year out. He was one of the only guys outside of the Marlins who he went through COVID during summer camp and he, uh, he got it rough. And somehow though, he battled back from that and he's back in his usual form. He's a Marlins killer. He's one of the most productive guys all time against the Marlins. He loves sitting at Marlins park. He's dangerous. He's dangerous. You got to go with Freddie Freeman. Don Mattingly or Jack McKeon? Choosing between two guys on the same team. I guess you thought because Mattingly and Sticker, that's no contest, right? So it's not even worth bringing that one up. So you're saying you're going to leave Jack hanging with a cigar in his hand? No, I didn't say that. I I thought if, if we're going to not even bring Sticker into the conversation because you don't, you're not even worried about who the great <laughs> have there. I'm not, yo, I'm not sick enough for Stickner. He was yeah. he was sticking up for freaking Ronald Acuna, Mr. Prima Donna, who thinks everybody's trying to hit him. Marlon's macho man said it last episode, Jose O'Reilly got over it. Ain't nobody trying to hit Ronald Acuna no more. Get over yourself, you Prima Donna. Who you got? Jack McKeon, Don Mattingly. I know you don't have that stinker. Well, Mattingly, what he's doing this year, it's going to look a lot like what it could potentially look like what McKeon had in 2003, coming back from a situation where you never thought they'd come back. Nobody thought they would stabilize after losing so many players during that outbreak. But it's a long way to go for him to finish off this crazy ride. McKeon's already been there, and he's done that. And he's even more so than Mattingly. McKeon has that identity. He knows exactly who he is, and he gets that buy-in from his players it's great to see him still in baseball. He's not with the Marlins organization right now. That's been a really regrettable situation that they aren't able to have him involved on this crazy ride as an advisor. He's with the Nationals instead. But best thing they ever did out in Washington is bring Jack McKinn. He was their good luck charm in 2019. You know, he was and he was and, and Dan Jennings. And Dan, Dan Jennings. Dan Jennings turned into the freaking assistant GM, didn't he? Mm-hmm. That's right. So, I mean, McKeon is he's the best. Even though Mattingly, he's now uh, number one on that list. All-time managerial wins leader in Marlins history. Donnie has that honor, but he's not he's not on the same level yet until he somehow brings these guys to the promised lands. McKeon was the guy that got it done. Who are you smoking a cigar with first? McKeon or Mattingly? Oh, I, I love both of them. I think both of them are great company to have. I can't choose this or that when it comes to that because come on, man, you gotta say Jack McKean. They'll fucking bust the ass. He's old school. Yeah, yeah. McKean's got stories for days. For he's got stories for a lifetime to fill you with and to hang out with. But Mattingly, he's he's as good a guy as you could ever want to spend time with. He is. He relates to every single person. Finds out the best in you. And he's got some great stories as well. You know, he's been through, he spent, I mean, he's getting up there. He's been in baseball now for like four, four decades, ever since he entered it as a player. He's got some, he's been through some times and a lot of good times when he was with the Yankees and the Dodgers and now some good times right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say enough for the kind of respect that I have for Mattingly and that I think everybody has for Mattingly. All right, man. Final question for you. Are you going the original men in teal, or are you rocking out the Miami blue? 
people got to be honest with themselves. I mean, you know what they're building right now is exciting, but it's teal is unbeatable. It was you can't do any better than what they came up with back in the day. And as much as much as they can bring that back into the fold as possible and throwback situations, I mean, the fans would appreciate that. It was it was the perfect identity for the organization to have at that time. And it still holds true for how original it was and how distinct that teal was. Teal is undefeated in this situation. Got to go with that. Well, guys, there you have it. Eli Sussman gives us his this or that pick. And, well, kicking it off, this is Alex Contreras alongside Eli Sussman. Thank you so much for joining us on another exciting episode of Marlins Barbecue. Eli, Red, Red, I, I negotiated with Eli. We were able to budget you in for the next episode. So we'll see Red on the next episode between the series of the New York Mets and the Miami Marlins. We'll see you next week. I'm Alex Contreras. Follow me at The Real Acon and at Talk Baseball on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you follow all your social media and podcasts. Eli, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much for having the brews. I don't know how many Slim Jims we're in, but thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. People know where to go, fishstripes.com. They know where to find me because I'm all over the website, the Fish Stripes Twitter account, Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook. But me personally, at Real Eli, E-L-Y, on Twitter, if you want some of my personal opinions, where I'm a little, uh, I always pump the brakes a little bit when the excitement gets a little too crazy. I love the enthusiasm that we're seeing in the fan base right now. This is unlike anything that they've had in years, in years. It's been a great revival of the fan base and some growth, seeing people jump onto the bandwagon for the first time. So I love following it. I love analyzing it. And uh, we do that across all our fish stripes properties. So, and that's, this podcast has been a big part of it too, Marlon's Barbecue. And we're going to keep it going, not with with Red and Alex. They're going to take you through this exciting time on a consistent basis throughout this season and postseason if they make it that far. Definitely. Definitely. I said we were going to make it 38 and 32 and 28. We're definitely going to make it. Let's go, Marlins. Let's go, Marlins. Hey, hey, Eli, real quick, real quick. I know that you're signing it off and all that, but. Marlins Barbecue, baby. This is where it's at. Thank you so much for the support. And let's go Marlins. Play that music.